Hi, Halifax. I'm Grace. And I'm Linnea. And guess what, Linnea? What? The Minute Women podcast is going on tour. Really? Well, sort of. We will be hosting two live shows in Halifax's beautiful North End. Ooh. The first show will be on April 26th at Hopyard on Gottagen Street. Show starts at 7 p.m. And on May 12th, we'll be at Good Robot on Roby Street. Show also starting at 7 p.m. So to stay in the loop and get more details, visit our website, middlewomenpodcast.ca. And check out our social media. We'll see you there. Bye. Bye. How do I start? Like, hi everyone. Hi everyone. Hi everyone. Welcome back to the Minute Women Podcast. My name is Grace. And I say I'm Linnea. And I'm Linnea. And I'm Linnea. I literally was Every like, time. what do I say? <laughs> I smell burnt toast. Doctor, I smell burnt toast. I dragged my ass out of bed for this picture. <laughs> On Mondays, it's going to be Margarita Mondays. <laughs> Nationwide. <laughs> and feel that reciprocated enjoyment. enjoyment. Oh, oh my god! It's like we're friends or something. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Minute Women podcast. My name is Grace. And I'm Linnea. And I am dying to find out the rest about uh, Mr. Brock. Our buddy Isaac Brock. Yeah. We are picking up where we left off. The War of 1812 has, yes. has really just started the boxing swimming superstar big boy brock um <laughs> look big brock <laughs> look big brock uh is now about to embark on the war of 1812 so that that saying is going to enter my vernacular now Good. Like, guys we need to look big okay <laughs> it's need- like like when you see a bear look big everyone look big okay <laughs> yeah. all right everybody look big let's go let's do it we are entering you know this season of allergies and springtime looking big looking big minute women podcast look big yeah i like that (laughs) also we should mention our minute tour which is taking place just as a reminder you can go see us at Hopyard on april 26th or you can go see us at good robot on may 12th both shows starting at 7 p.m uh both venues have lots and lots of beer and uh other alcoholic beverages or non-alcoholic and delicious food apparently so much food uh the uh, night that will be at hopyard is actually their taco tuesday so tacos (laughs) minute tour look big look big oh (laughs) the minute women podcast minute tour look big yeah all right let's go let's go (laughs) all right let's go so on July 12th, 1812, an American army under William Hall invaded Canada at Sandwich, which is now known as Windsor. Windsor, Ontario. Windsor, Ontario. But Sandwich at the time. <laughs> the invasion was quickly halted and Hall withdrew, but this gave Brock the excuse he needed to abandon Prevost's orders. So when we left, where we left it, yeah, Brock was upset with George Prevost because George Prevost is like we need to be on the defensive we shouldn't be initiating any attacks um right even though Brock is saying like we can't act so defeatist we can't just assume we're going to lose in the event of an American invasion we should be prepared and like look big right we gotta look big everybody look big (laughs) we gotta look big for the American bear yeah you know (laughs) So he's also finally obtained limited support from the legislature for his measures to defend the province, and Brock prorogued the assembly and set out on the 6th of August with a small body of regulars and some volunteers from the York militia. 
to reinforce the garrison at Fort Malden, Amherstburg, at the western end of the Lake oh, Erie. I know where Amherstburg is. I've been oh, to really? Amherstburg. Why? Uh, it's in Windsor, Ontario. And you were just there. Uh, I was there. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. Um, it's very worth like, defending. Yeah, it's like very <laughs> quintessential, like townscapey. Nice. It's the first time that I've that I was in one of the Great Lakes swimming, and it's like I get it. Like, I get, like, I always, like, growing up in Nova Scotia, I'm like, ooh, lakes, like, muddy puddles of water. <laughs> but then it's like, and you would have a different perspective, too, because you've got the Bordeaux Lakes and Cape Breton and stuff. But yeah. to go to, like, the Great Lakes, where it's, like, the freaking out ocean of a lake. Yeah, and it's like, the Bordeaux Lakes are beautiful, but you can see the other side. Yeah. They're not Great Lakes, and I was where it's like, like, oh, this is basically yeah, the ocean. I was like, this is, I get it. I get it. Like, there's waves. I get it. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so this would be facing William Hull's position in Detroit. Yeah. So that's, we're at a, a Great Lake standoff at the moment. Nice. Staring each other down. Traveling mainly by water in bad weather, Brock reached Amherstburg on the 13th of August. So Brock met up again with Shawnee Chief Tecumseh in Amherstburg. He quickly established a rapport with Tecumseh, ensuring his cooperation against Fort Detroit. So Brock is immediately impressed with Tecumseh. Brock also read American dispatches uh, captured from Hall's army. He quickly judged Hall to be timid and afraid of the First Nations in particular. And the American forces, based on these like letters that he's basically stolen, um, they, they seem to present an American army that's really demoralized and short on rations. Okay. So they're hungry and afraid and sad. That's, I would be very unhappy. <laughs> Against the advice of his officers, Brock immediately prepared to launch an attack on Detroit. He's like, basically, this is, it's never going to get better than this. Right. We have them where we want them. We should take advantage of that, not just wait for them to attack us. Okay. Even with his First Nations allies, Brock was outnumbered. Um, his force included 600 First Nations and 1,300 soldiers, British soldiers, as well as two battleships, according to a later report. Hall had about 2,500 soldiers under his command. Wowza. But they're scared and hungry. Yeah, they are. <laughs> you, you can never underestimate that. Nope. He decided to use tricks to intimidate Hall. He's tricky. We're back on our trick game. We're on our mind game. He just carries a handkerchief with him. Back on that them. bullshit. <laughs> yeah. So he dressed his militia contingent in uniforms of discarded regulars. So a militia doesn't wear the British red. They would wear a different militia uniform. But he's like, no, no, no. We're all going to dress like regulars. Oh. To give the illusion of like a trained professional force on site. Um, So from a distance, it made the force seem entirely British regulars and and bigger because red. Red. I see the red. Big. Big red. Look big, big red. everybody. Yeah, looking big. <laughs> Brock laid siege at Fort Detroit from established artillery positions across the river in Sandwich. Through a carefully crafted series of marches, he gave the appearance of having a much more numerous force. He had Tecumseh's forces across in front of the fort several times, doubling back undercover. So he's just lapping it. But it's like, oh, my God, there's so many of them. (laughs) It's like when in old movies they would reuse animation and you see the same people in the crowd over and over again. It's that. But Hull's like, I can't believe it. (laughs) 
I'm so scared right so now. So wait, how is he doing this? So basically, like, they're circling it, but he, they're circling the fort, but the the Americans think that it's just one continuous okay. stream in front, not okay. not doubling back right. and, and running again. In right, front. right, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so this was to intimidate Hall with a show of a large, raucous, um, like seemingly barely controlled First Nations warriors. Okay. <laughs> Finally, he sent Hall a letter demanding his surrender in which he stated in part, quote, it is far from my inclination to join in a war of extermination, but you must be aware of the numerous bodies of Indians, it's a quote, sorry, um, who have attached themselves to my troops who will be beyond my control the moment contest commences. So, like, Brock knows that these guys aren't like this, but he's like, oh, I'll leverage your, like, yeah. your racial prejudice yeah. to make it sound like these guys are going to kill literally everybody in the fort the minute that it Yeah, look starts. scary. Look big and look scary. Look big, everybody. And then Brock hammered the fort with cannon fire. Nice. So on the 16th nice touch. <laughs> a little additional kiss on the 16th of august the day after receiving brock's letter hall surrendered oh hall <laughs> you little pansy is hall. that an, is, is pansy a rude term i don't know is that not nice i feel like it has certain connotations but it's not like a slur okay that's good as long as yeah. i'm not slurring I, I hope not i hope not i'm i'm sorry if i am if i am someone please let me know the thing I'll is i'll if i bleep it it'll sound so much worse it it's will like, oh my god what so was she can't. saying can't. hall Elderly and without recent military experience was terrified by the risk of losing the battle. Oh my goodness. So gracious. Hall is just like peeing his pants inside the fort. He's like, I don't know what to do. Let's just surrender. Let's leave. So the capture of Detroit and Hull's army wounded American morale and eliminated the main American force in the area as a threat, while at the same time boosting morale among his own forces. So Brock's forces. Yeah. Brock took the American supplies at Detroit and used them for his own forces, particularly the ill-equipped militia. Under prize regulations, a substantial part of the value of the captured military stores would accrue to him. So, you know. Yeah. He's also going to make a bunch of money. And if he had lived longer, then this alone would have been enough to settle all of his debts oh, back in England. But But he doesn't live longer? Well... You know, well, we talked about it at the very beginning of the first episode. Right. Something's, something's coming. Okay. <laughs> Brock valued the capture ordinance supplies at 30,000 pounds. Holy guacamole. Finally, the victory secured the support of Tecumseh and other chiefs in his confederation. So this is like a Mohawk confederation. Good. Um, who took Brock's actions as both a sign of competence and a willingness to take action. So like, all right, this guy's. This guy know this guy can hang. Yeah. <laughs> His Tecumseh's beliefs. This guy's chill. Tecumseh evidently trusted and respected Brock, reportedly saying, quote, This is a man. <laughs> a big old man. This is a man. <laughs> this right here? Man. Man. Um, after meeting him for the first time. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Although Don't read a book. <laughs> don't judge a book by its cover, Tecumseh. And so this is just according to what I found. So maybe this is not the most accurate portrayal of Brock's attitudes towards First Nations people. But for the time, it seems like he was pretty decent. 
Okay. Like he just values competency and war ability more than anything else. Okay. So uh, although his correspondences certainly indicate an amount of like paternal condensation, like it was very common for the time to be like, oh, the like noble savage and we'll take care of the First Nations peoples and all okay. this stuff. Like they don't respect them as equals necessarily. Right. Um, but he does seem to have regarded Tecumseh and his people very highly. Um, he called Tecumseh the Wellington of Indians. Okay. I don't know what that means. Like the Duke of Wellington? Must be. That's in Bridgerton. That can't be real. <laughs> Brock would have loved Bridgerton. Oh my god. Brock was all about Bridgerton. Um, there are boxers in Bridgerton. So there you go. Boxing is a really big sport in England. Yeah, he should have been there. Yeah. He also stated a more gallant warrior does not, I believe, exist. Wow. So, you know, he does speak quite highly of him. Brock made a number of commitments to the Shawnee people. He promised to negotiate no peace treaty without addressing the Shawnee's vision of an independent homeland. There is no evidence that Brock negotiated these things in bad faith. So, like, okay, would it have happened if he didn't die and, like, We'll never know, right. but it seems like like he has no reason to say those things and then behind closed doors be like, I don't mean it. Right. So like based on everything we have, it seems like he was fairly honest with these people. Brock's personal integrity and respect for First Nations people is quite well documented and suggests that should he have lived, he would have kept his word to the Shawnee. Okay. We can't be sure of that, but that seems to be the case. That seems legit. Yeah. So the capture of Detroit led to British domination over most of the Michigan Territory. Brock had planned to continue his campaign into the U.S., but he was thwarted by negotiations of an armistice by Prevost with American Major General Henry Dearborn. So constantly Prevost is like, okay, we're ending the war right now. Brock's like, what are you doing? Stop. Stop it. Don't be stupid. (laughs) This stalled Brock's momentum and gave the Americans time to regroup and prepare to invade Canada. (laughs) Unable to predict the point of invasion, Brock frantically worked to prepare defenses throughout Upper Canada. So he's like, great, now I've just got to start from square one. Now I have work to do. Meanwhile, the American general, Stephen Van Rensselaer III, (laughs) a Federalist political appointee in command of a sizable army near Lewiston, was pressured by the American president to invade. Although Van Rensselaer, we're going to call him VR. That's a name. Van. Vanny. <laughs> Although VR had severe doubts about the quality of his troops, he had no choice but to attack. He was an inexperienced militia general and not trusted by the majority of regular army troops. In the early morning of the 13th of October, 1812, he attempted to cross the Niagara River, leading to the battle of Queenston Heights. Oh, okay. So we have arrived. We have arrived. We made it. <laughs> Full circle. We made it. Despite heavy fire from the British artillery, the first wave of Americans under Captain John E. Wool managed to land and then follow a fisherman's path up to the heights. Okay. So if you know, like, the Battle of the Plains of Abraham, the big part of it is that the planes are up on these massive cliffs and the British right. have to scale these cliffs to get up there. It's kind of a similar thing with Kingston Heights. Your battle terrain, I guess, is quite far up from the coastline. Far up, okay. Yeah. From this point, they attacked and routed the British artillery. Brock had arrived from nearby Fort George and moved to the artillery battery to gain a better view only minutes before Wool attacked. 
He and his aides and the gunners were forced to beat a hasty retreat, leading their horses down the steep slopes. Ooh, scary. Fearing the Americans would move the rest of their troops across the river, Brock ordered an immediate attack on their position. True to his philosophy of never ordering men where he would not lead them, he personally led the charge on foot. Brock's charge was made by Dennis's and William's two companies of the 49th and two companies of militia. The assault was halted by heavy fire as he noticed unwounded men dropping to the rear. Brock shouted angrily that, quote, This is the first time I ever seen the 49th turn their backs. Surely the heroes of Egmont will not tarnish their record. At this rebuke, the ranks promptly closed up and were joined by two more companies of militia, those of Cameron and Heward. Brock saw the militia supports were lagging behind on the foothill, and he ordered his provincial aides de camp, Lieutenant Colonel John McDonnell, to, quote, push the York volunteers, while he led his own party to the right, presumably intending to join his party with that of William's detachment, who were beginning to make progress on the flank. That sounds so intense. So it's a chaotic battle. That sounds chaotic and intense. But Brock is very involved. He's like... Everybody get your... he's there. Everybody get your ass in gear. (laughs) This is happening. We're doing it. We're doing it live, folks. So it's at this point that Brock was struck in the wrist of his sword arm by a musket ball. So he's shot in the arm with the one that carries the sword. (laughs) But he continued to press home the attack. His height and energetic gestures, together with his officer's uniform and a gaudy sash given to him eight weeks earlier by Tecumseh, which is very rude. It's like, quote, gaudy. Yeah. It's like, gaudy's not I'm nice. sure it was a respectful gift. I don't. Jeez. Yeah. Um, so he was given this after the siege of Detroit. Um, it made him a conspicuous target. So he's hard to disguise on a battlefield. He right. stands out. And so people are like, oh. There's Brock. That's the guy. Let's get him. Yeah. An unknown American stepped forward from a thicket and fired at a range of barely 50 yards. The musket ball struck Brock in the chest and he fell. His last words were reported to have been push on brave York volunteers in reference to a group of militia that Brock favored or push on don't mind me. Um, But there's really no. Yeah. Like. Push on. He wanted him to keep going. Yeah, there's really no evidence of what his first, his final words were. Okay. Um, but today, Brock's uni- Brock University, their motto is uh, Latin for push on. Oh, that's cool. Which is kind of cool. Um, Not look big. <laughs> and there's also, <laughs> there's a lot of like potentials for his last words. Other sources suggest that his final words were like a request that his fall would not be noticed. So he's like, don't look at me. Don't look basically. at me. Don't look at me. Um, and basically, like, he just, like, was like, everybody has to keep going. Also, like, give this to my sister. He, like, gives them a token, but they don't know what it is. Okay. It's like he gave some sort of token of remembrance for his sister. Okay. For someone to give to her. Anyways, everyone's very obsessed with Brock's last words. Okay. These accounts are considered to be very unlikely. Okay. Um. Especially the one about the York Volunteers, because he was not in the company of York Volunteers, but it was, like, regular soldiers at the time that he was surrounded by. So, like, why is he talking to the York Volunteers if they're not there? (laughs) 
It's also reported that Brock almost died immediately. So it's like the it seems like the he bullet entered his time. heart. Yeah. So yeah. He's, he's not waxing poetic. His body was carried from the field and it was kind of like hidden away in a nearby house on the corner of Queenston and Partition Streets, diagonally opposite to that of Laura Secord Street. What? Everything's coming together. It's all connected. It's all connected. Following the death of Brock, Lieutenant Colonel John McDonnell became the senior officer. A lawyer by trade and having very little military experience, McDonnell led a second attempt to retake the Redan. With William's men of the 49th starting from the brush to the right of the line near the escarpment and McDonald's anchoring the left, the force of between 70 and 80 men, more than half of whom were militia, advanced toward the Redan. So we've got 80 guys. That's all. That's not a lot. Wool had been reinforced by more troops who had just made their way up the path to the top of the heights, and McDonald faced some 400 troops. During the charge, it is reported that the 49th used Revenge the General as the battle cry. Nice. Despite the disadvantage in numbers, as well as attacking from a fixed position, Williams and McDonald's small force was driving the opposing force to the edge of the gorge on which the Redan was situated and seemed to be on the verge of success before the Americans were able to regroup and stand firm. The, ba- the momentum of the battle turned when a musket ball hit MacDonnell's mount, causing it to rear and twist around, and another shot him in the small of his back, causing him to fall off the horse. He was removed from the battlefield and died from his injuries in the next few days. Captain Williams was laid low by a wound to the head and Dennis by a severe wound to the thigh, although he continued to lead his detachment throughout the action. Carrying MacDonnell's and the body of Brock, the British fell back through Queenston to Durham's farm, a mile north of Vrooman's Point. Hi, Minute Women listeners. It is Grace in the future. As I listened back to this episode, I realized that I had completely forgot about what the actual Heritage Minute is about. And so I wanted to just come back and quickly interject to say that the Heritage Minute follows Mohawk Chief John Norton. And what the Heritage Minute displays is he and his 80 Grand River warriors managing to hold off American forces until reinforcements could arrive. And this took hours. So it's really amazing that this really small force was able to achieve this. And it was tremendously important to the success at the Battle of Queenston Heights. But I won't say too much more because I think we definitely have a hero for a future Minute Women episode. Okay, back to Brock. In the afternoon, Sheaf arrived on the battlefield with reinforcements and took command of the British forces. In sharp contrast to his predecessors' direct attacks, Sheaf took a more cautious approach. This ultimately proved successful, leading to total victory over the Americans. Okay, yay! So the British do win Queenston Heights. We did it! It's a very sloppy, messy or battle. They did it. They did it. Yeah. 
After the battle, Sheaf and his staff decided to entrust the funeral arrangements of Brock to Captain John Glegg, who had served with Brock for many years. On the 16th of October, a funeral procession for Brock and Colonel MacDonnell went from Government House to Fort George, with soldiers from the British Army, the Colonial Militia, and First Nation warriors on either side of the route. The caskets were lowered into freshly dug graves at the northeast corner of Fort George. The British fired a 21-gun salute in three salvos with, in a gesture of respect. Later that day, the American garrison at Fort Niagara respectfully fired a similar salute. Over 5,000 people attended the funeral, a remarkable number given the limited population of Upper Canada at yeah. the time. Yeah. A small cairn at the foot of the Niagara Escarpment marks the spot where Brock fell, which I believe is still there. You can still visit cool. it. Um, in 1824, Brock's and MacDonnell's remains were moved to Brock's monument, which overlooked the Queenston Heights. <laughs> Is that a weird thing? I think a little. It's, like, weird to be memorialized where you died. Yeah, I think that's a little weird. Like, if they buried John Lennon in Central Park, that'd be kind of weird, yeah, right? Yeah, I think it'd be very weird. It's, like, tra trauma. It's, like, traumatic. Yeah, like, I get why you have, like... This is where this happened. Especially it's not like your house. Like it's not a place where you died yeah. peacefully. It's like a place where you were murdered. Yeah. 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 I don't know if that's what I would want no. personally. Oh, so. <laughs> the original monument um, was actually bombed and heavily damaged in 1840. So there's like oh. a monument there now, but that's not the original one. Okay. Um, this action was reputedly done by Irish-Canadian terrorist uh, Benjamin Lett although a subsequent assized failed to confirm this. So they don't know. They're blaming the Finians, but no one's sure. But no one's sure. <laughs> it was replaced by a larger structure, uh, which is there now, and it's huge. You've probably like big. seen it in photos. It's you like 185 it feet. Space. It's big. <laughs> well, now you can with satellites, yeah. I guess. Um, but yeah, no, it's huge. It's like 185 feet tall. It's That's this huge pillar. Big. Yeah. Um, Brock's remains were reinterred inside this new monument on the 13th of October, 1853, with an inscription that reads, Upper Canada has dedicated this monument to the memory of the late Major General Isaac Brock, KB, Provisional Lieutenant Governor and Commander of the Forces in the province, whose remains are deposited in the vault beneath. Opposing the invading enemy, he fell in action near these heights on the 13th of October, 1812, in the 43rd third year of his age revered and lamented by the people whom he governed and deplored by the sovereign whose services his life had been devoted to so canadians regarded for a long time brock as like one of the greatest military heroes um he was voted 28th on the greatest canadians television show Wow. Pretty high. Pretty high. Uh, although he's not born in Canada and he's never naturalized as a Canadian citizen. Okay. <laughs> although many Canadians have come to view Brock as one of their own, Brock never really felt at home in Canada. On the whole, he viewed the country as kind of a backwater and yeah. earnestly wished to return to Europe to yeah. fight against Napoleon. Oh, well. Brock mistrusted the Canadian colonists, many of whom he suspected of being American sympathizers. <sighs> And he was reluctant to arm them indiscriminately to help the colony. Okay. 
He favored the expansion of volunteer forces, which could be trained and supervised, as well as the use of British regulars and Tecumseh's warriors. Since his death, several legends and myths about Brock have arisen. Okay. In 1908, the story of Brock's betrothal to Sophia Shaw, uh-huh. who was the daughter of General Shaw, was first published. Okay. There's no supporting evidence for the claim, and okay. most biographers consider it a falsehood. All right. A legend about Brock's horse, Alfred, was published oh, in 1859. <laughs> the, ho- the horse was supposedly shot and killed during the battle while being ridden by MacDonnell, and it is commemorated in the monument erected in 1976 in Queenston near the cairn marking the spot where Brock fell. Oh. Um, and we do know that his horse was shot, but there's very little evidence that this was, like, was Brock's horse. Okay. Uh, yeah, it, especially because the general's horse is listed as an, an attendee of the funeral. So he <laughs> he preceded horse. the coffin do, 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 at the interment. Like, he's, like, part of the parade. Yeah. They're like, this is Brock's horse. Yeah. So probably not dead. Probably not dead. Alfred probably didn't die. Yeah. Alfred's probably dead now. Yes. Um, but uh, not then. I would imagine. Not then. Um, but, yeah, that's the... The end of oh, the story the of story. Isaac Brock. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's uh, that's how it all ended. And that's the big reason that we know about Queenston Heights. Okay. And so while I don't think that the Heritage Minute is is necessarily false, right? Hey, the whole point of this show is that we go behind the minute. Yeah, and you exactly. went behind it and you scooped it out, and here we are. <laughs> think big, Grace. Isaac Brock. Think big. Look big. Oh, look big. Look, look big. big. Look big. Think big. Yeah. In the wise words of Isaac Brock, look big, everybody. Look big. What was the other half of that quote? Look big. Oh, speak loud and look big. Oh, speak loud and look big. <laughs> speak loud. Push on. Look big. And if anyone challenges you to a duel, make the distance just point blank and see what they do. Well, thank you so much for finally giving me my answers and the ending to the story of brock and now i'll think about that whenever i hear you know brock university or brockville i'll be like oh it's that guy from queenston heights your boy your boy brock (laughs) look big (laughs) look big brock (laughs) which is perfect because we are going on the minute tour of the minute women look big (laughs) and uh it's perfect it's a whole bit it's a whole thing now all thanks to this two-parter episode (laughs) so if you're looking for more information um or to see our episode catalog or the research or learn about grace and i uh you can go to our website www.minutewomenpodcast.ca and make sure you rate and review the podcast. Subscribe to the show. We're very predictable. We come out every Wednesday, so you can look forward to that. And share the podcast with all your friends. Also, also, if you're in the Halifax area, we are going on tour. So check out our website or check out our Instagram for all of the details. And hopefully we'll see you there. Bye. Bye. Bye.